us. We're making our way through the book of Acts in the New Testament. And this morning we find ourselves in Acts 13, beginning in verse 13. We are in the middle of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Acts 13, beginning in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance, and all this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them the judges until Samuel the prophet, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled by them condemning him, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
Beware, therefore, let it be said, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and, astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it about, to you. And they went out, and the people begged that these things might be told to them again on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony of how the gospel came to Antioch and Pisidia. And we pray that as we study this passage, that you would open our hearts, our eyes, our minds to see wonderful things from your word. Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you give us joy and hope by your spirit? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is freedom? Freedom is a word that we use all the time. It's something that's kind of written into our national consciousness as people. We think about America, we think about freedom, but let's go a little bit deeper. What is true freedom? Does it mean that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want? Is a fish out of water, truly free? Is a locomotive off the tracks in the middle of a muddy field an example of true freedom? What if freedom is more than doing what we want? What if freedom is more than my personal rights? What if freedom is about becoming the people that we were made to be shaped and guided, and compelled, and controlled, and empowered by the love of God, and the grace of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This passage in Acts 13 is about God's mission of freedom. God is on a mission of freedom, and this is a message that we desperately need to hear, because each and every day we are bombarded, we're tempted, we're seduced, we're allured by the flesh, by this world, by uh, the devil himself, to believe that freedom, that real life, comes in what we have and what we get 
and what we consume and what we experience. And so constantly we're tempted to think, this will make me happy. This will make me whole. This will fill the void in my life. This will make me okay. This will bring me freedom finally. And the message of the Bible and this passage is that we can only experience true freedom. We can only be the men and women, the boys and girls that we were meant to be by having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So before we jump into the passage to think about God's freedom, God's mission and freedom, let's think about the context a little bit. Remember, Paul and Barnabas have been on Cyprus preaching the gospel, and in this passage they get on a boat, they go north back to the continent, they go to a town called uh, Perga, And at that point, John Mark leaves and he goes back to Jerusalem and mark that. We're going to come back to it later in the book of Acts. And then they make their way about 130 miles north from Perga up the the, the Cestrus River to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, this is not the same Antioch that we've seen before. This place is about 600 miles west-northwest of the Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas. And what did Paul and Barnabas do when they got to Antioch of Pisidia? They went to the synagogue on a Sabbath. And we'll see this pattern over and over again in the book of Acts. They sat down and they listened. They didn't go in and stir up strife. They didn't make a scene. They sat down and listened to the word proclaimed. But the leaders of the synagogue knew who they were. These guys uh, had a reputation. And so they said, look, if If you have anything to say, if you have a word of encouragement, then say it. This is the uh, ultimate invitation for any pastor. Sure. Yeah. Be happy to. And so Paul stood up and he began to preach. And what was the message that he preached? He He preached a message of promised freedom. That's how he began. Promised freedom. And This is the first recorded sermon of Paul in the the New Testament, and uh, most first sermons aren't that special. I know mine wasn't. Um, They're often jilted and simplistic, and delivery, well, there's often room for growth. But remember, Paul had essentially already been to seminary. He had a theological training, and now that his heart had been opened to the gospel of Jesus, he understood the Bible in a new and profound way. And so what did he preach on this first sermon? Did he want to make a splash? Did he swing for the fences? How did he begin? He began the same way Stephen did in Acts chapter 7. Guys, listen up. Men of Israel, people who fear God, I have a message for you. Listen carefully. And what does he say? How does he begin? Verse 17, God. What a perfect way to begin a sermon. God, the Creator, the Redeemer. He brings us promised freedom, and that freedom is anchored and rooted and ancient. So let's look at the passage together. This promised freedom is chosen freedom. Look at verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. And that may feel a little weird. Maybe an oxymoron. That doesn't sound like freedom. God chose them. How does that work? Well, here's the thing. If our future, if our freedom depended on us, if it depended on 
our decisions and our pathway in and of ourselves, we would be in big trouble. Because the Bible says clearly that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked after the course of this world, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And God's electing love promised and expressed to Israel was not because they were the best and the brightest. It's not because of their works or their skills or their size. In fact, Deuteronomy 7 says it like this, The Lord chose you for His treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth, not because you are more in number, you were the fewest, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise that He swore to your fathers. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. Our hope, our standing, our freedom in Jesus Christ is based on God's electing love. Chosen freedom hinges on grace. And so, there's no room to boast. There's no room to say, I'm something special. Look at me. This is one of the most humbling things in the Scriptures. Paul goes on to talk about redeeming freedom. Redeeming freedom is promised. And redemption is buying back. It's purchasing back. And so he keys on the Exodus event from the Old Testament. Remember God delivering His people out of Egypt literally from slavery to freedom. And that promised freedom is redeeming freedom. And it's important for us to remember this as we live our lives. It's important to remember the preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You see the order there? Redemption, then obedience. And we have redeeming freedom from Jesus Christ. And so, as uh, Paul continues, he traces the history of God's people throughout the Old Testament. And the question over and over again was, would they follow their own wisdom, their own strength, their own desires, or would they live out of the freedom that they had in God? We know that time and time again they failed. They forgot the covenant love and mercy of God. This is the same question, brothers and sisters, that we face every single day. Will I, will we walk in the redeeming freedom of the gospel? Or will we be shaped and driven by our own desires and our own temptations? It's promised freedom. That's what this sermon is all about. And that promise is, in verses 23 through 26, fulfilled. Fulfilled is is a great word. On our best days, in the best weeks or months, we say, my work is so fulfilling, my family life is so fulfilling, my hobbies are so fulfilling. And the trajectory and point of this sermon is not an Old Testament history lesson, Paul says it clearly. The point is that the history of Israel is about God's promises fulfilled. Look at verse 26. Family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. See, this is promised freedom, fulfilling freedom, saving freedom, offered and sent to us, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And and John the Baptist knew this. That's what 
uh, verses 24 and 25 are about. You remember, John was kind of a big deal. His whole life, his message, his ministry made a splash in Israel. People were coming out in the wilderness to see him. Even the way that he ate and what he wore was unique. And his message was essentially this, listen up, God is on the move, God is on a mission, repent, come back to God. But John made it absolutely clear, oh, I, I am not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Promised freedom has always been about Jesus Christ, but the Jews, they missed it, they didn't get it. Verses 27 through 29 remind us of what John 1 says. He came to his own and his own received him not. They didn't recognize that Jesus Christ is the promised fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. And so, even though these words are read every Sabbath, they unintentionally fulfilled the words of the prophets by condemning Jesus to die even though he wasn't guilty. And I want to stop here and just make a small point of application. What are the areas in our lives where we ignore and downplay and gloss over the message of God's Word that we hear week in and week out? Ask God the Holy Spirit to show you those areas in your life where you read what the Scripture says and you just kind of roll your eyes or you, you flip the page real quickly. Because that's exactly what happened with them. They, sat, they went to church every single week. And they missed the message of fulfilled freedom in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30. God did it. Maybe the most important words of the Bible, but God raised Jesus from the dead. This is the cornerstone, the hinge the bedrock of our salvation, it's the resurrection of Jesus. And so, He appeared and we are witnesses and we have the good news. Verse 32, we bring good news that what God promised to the fathers, He fulfilled to us by raising Jesus Christ. And all these passages that Paul references from the Old Testament are glimpses, promises that Jesus is the Messiah. The good news of God's mission is rooted. It's promised freedom. And it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Not only is that the story of redemption, but what is the proclaimed freedom that we see in this passage? It's promised to us, but it's also proclaimed. And You think about a, a, a medieval herald. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Thus says the king, a proclamation from the king. Not only is this the message, but, but Paul proclaims it to them and to us. He declares it. He announces it. And with any good news, the next question, the obvious question is this. So what? What now? Paul proclaims the point of promised freedom. We see it in verse 38. Look in your Bible with me at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides 
for one of our deepest existential needs and problems as human beings. What will we do with our guilt? What will we do with our shame? And the world says, ignore it. Do whatever you want. Guilt is an ancient relic of an outdated religion. But what's the reality that we see all around us, that we see in us? People are searching. People are trying new things. They're trying to fill the void and the emptiness. They want to be affirmed and, and accepted so badly. Why? Because there's this, there's this nagging question, can I be forgiven? And Romans 1 lays out this reality that, that everyone knows that God exists Everyone knows intuitively that God is holy, and we all know and carry, whether we, we admit it or not, that we're sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember the passage in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah sees the Lord lofty and exalted. He sees the holiness of God, and what is his response? Oh no, I'm finished. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. See, forgiveness proclaimed has always been part of God's story of rescue. And how does God forgive us? Well, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just, just come on in. Is that, is that how God does it? Is that what takes place? No worries. Everything's fine. It says in this passage, through this man. Through this man, through Jesus Christ, His perfect life, death, and resurrection in our place, His life laid down for us. He's the source, He's the fountain, He's the King of forgiveness. What did Jesus say? This is the blood of, of the new covenant, in the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many, for what? For the forgiveness of sins. And Paul could say, look, I hated Christians. I hated Jesus. I persecuted Christians. I murdered Christians. And God came and got me. And He rescued me. And He forgave me. If He can forgive me, He can forgive you. Sisters and brothers, this is the message that we carry to a lost and dying world. That you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done. And this is a message that we not only carry to outsiders, but it's a message that we need to remember and believe. Because a lot of us carry baggage around. We have scars. We have wounds. We think, well, you know, I may be a Christian, but I'm a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. God might let me into heaven, but I'm going to be in the nosebleed section because I really don't deserve. His mercy and grace, and that's true, but He offers real, full, free forgiveness that brings freedom for the sins of your past, the sins of your present, the sins of your future. And it comes to us through faith. The ground of our forgiveness is in Jesus Christ, but the instrument of our forgiveness is faith. It says through faith in Him, and this isn't the same thing the parents say to their kids, I believe in you, you're going to win the big game. Now this is, I stake my entire life, past, present, and future on Jesus Christ. His life for my life, His death for my death. 
Everyone who believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the proclaimed message of freedom. That there's forgiveness through this man, Jesus Christ, if we put our faith in Him. And verse 39 goes further, but wait, there's more. By Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What is this about? Well, the word freedom used here is used twice in this verse. It's the Greek word dikaio, and it means to justify. It means to make acceptable. Faith in Jesus Christ forgiven because we've been justified, accepted, declared not guilty because of the righteousness of Christ. That's where the freedom comes from. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 highlights and it it paints this picture beautifully. God made Him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's imputed, double imputation. He takes our sin. We take His righteous robes. We're declared not guilty. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And I've used this illustration before, but it's so good. It applies here so well. There was a drought in an ancient village, and water was strictly rationed. In fact, if you took more water than was rationed to you, you would be beaten with a cane 40 times. And there was a buzz around the village because someone had been caught. She got caught red-handed. There's no use in denying it. There were tons of witnesses And everyone showed up for the trial because the woman on trial, her own son, was the judge. The evidence was presented and it was a slam dunk. What would the judge do? He knew that his mother would probably die from the punishment that she would receive. And so he read the verdict, guilty. And she crumbled in a hump in tears. And it was time for the punishment. And so they tied her hands to a post, ready to give her the beating. And the judge told the punisher, wait a moment. Then he took off his robes. And he took off his shirt. And he wrapped his body around his mother's. And he said, beat her severely. That gives us a glimpse of what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us in the gospel. That's what brings us freedom. We can't get the freedom by keeping God's law because what does James tell us? If you've broken one of the laws, you're guilty of them all. We can't be free by trying to build something up for ourselves. I mean, this is what... um, what Paul would later say in Philippians chapter 3. Remember he said, I'm not building a righteousness of my own. I tried to do that. I count all that stuff as, as garbage, trash. But I want to be found in Jesus Christ based on His righteousness. And again, this is a critical message that we carry to this world. This is what is too good to be too true of Christianity. Yes, 
full and free forgiveness accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is a critical message for believers because we are hardwired to be legalists. We are hardwired to think that, uh, yeah, we maybe need a little grace, but it really is based on how well I'm doing. And when we live that way, we live like the Pharisees. Remember, there are people that should have known about God's mercy and grace better than anyone, but they decided to live their life by comparison. And when we live that way, we become self-righteous and angry and frustrated, and we try to keep score, even though we know that we'll never measure up. This is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another day in and day out. This is freedom, acceptance, and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I love how this section ends. He says, listen up. Verse 40 and 41. Listen up, make sure you're not like those people who heard it, but they never responded. The last thing we see from the passage is not only promised freedom, proclaimed freedom, but powerful freedom. What did the people do after uh, Paul preached this sermon? They begged him. Please come back next Sunday and share this message again. In fact, they, they followed them out of the synagogue, and the, the implication is in verses 42 and 43 that they stayed with them all week. So in the park and in people's homes, they constantly were teaching about God's mercy. And what was the message that they shared with the people? They urged them, verse 43, to continue in the grace of God. Don't start out by grace and continue by works. Continue in the grace of God. Keep going, keep believing, keep relying on God's powerful grace. And the implication for us is so important. Think about the nicks and the bruises and the heartbreak, and the loss, and the disappointment, and the, di- the sinful failures that we experience in our lives. Sisters and brothers, we desperately need to continue in the grace of God. The longer you live, you should have a growing sense, a deeper sense, that I need more Grace, not less. It says that the whole city, uh, verse 44, came back the next Sunday. And isn't there part of us that thinks, you know what, I don't want to bother people with the gospel. I don't want to interrupt their lives and tell them about Jesus because they don't want to hear it, you know. This message is the most powerful message in the universe. It's the only place of true freedom. People need it. And the whole world, this whole city was turned upside down. And there were also some who were afraid. When God's power is displayed, sometimes it brings fear. Fear that my kingdom, my way will be unraveled. And so the Jews were angry and jealous, reviling and mocking. Paul and Barnabas weren't surprised. They quoted Isaiah 49 and said that, We're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And what did the Gentiles do when they heard this? Verse 48, 
They were filled with joy and they glorified the Word of God. Look at what else verse 48 says. It talks about appointed. You want to talk about chosen freedom? This is one of the most low-key passages that reinforce the biblical principle of election. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Salvation and grace through faith, the powerful freedom is not just from beginning to end, it's from before the beginning to after the end. And there was more persecution. That powerful freedom was opposed by those who wanted the power, so they continued to stir things up. They got the devout women, they got some leaders in the city, and they literally forced Paul and Barnabas and their crew out of the city. They drove them out. And next week we'll see that that persecution intensifies. As we think about our, our lives, this is a possibility. We may be persecuted at some point in our lives. We live in a secular post-Christian culture. We are exiles. We always have been. But I want to, what happens here to shape the way that we think and shape the way that we talk. You ever find yourself saying to people, man, every, everything's going, going to fall apart. Everything's going so badly. And what about this? And what about that? And what about that? But God's in control. Really? <laughs> Do you really believe that? How about, yeah, there are issues that, that are disappointing and difficult and frustrating in this world. But, but you know what? Let's lead with this. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. He is in control. Notice that they were filled, filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what they did not do. They didn't run to the mountains and hide together for fear that they might be persecuted again. They didn't run back to Antioch with their tail between their legs because they were absolute failures. Because they had been persecuted. No. They knew God was on a mission. They knew that they had to keep going forward. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. God opens hearts to the gospel message. Paul would later write about this in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content... I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, e in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And no, this is not about a football game. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's what we see displayed here. Filled with joy. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Gospel does. It brings us freedom. A transcendent sense of peace and purpose, of meaning and mission, of trust and tenacity. Are there areas in your life where you want, you need, you desire the freedom that you have in Jesus? Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe you are dealing with resentment and bitterness that you just can't seem to let go of. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're apathetic. 
Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus is offered to us as His children to bring freedom. That's, that's true freedom. Resting and walking in Jesus. Freedom to live in God, to God, for God, to become the people that we were meant to be. Girls and boys, women and men, made in the image and transformed in the image of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for the powerful display of the freedom of the gospel of Jesus. Help us to believe it. Help it to shape our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.